Welcome to Fleet Forward, the podcast of the professional for hire passenger transportation industry. Fleet Forward is brought to you by the Transportation Alliance. Learn more about how we can help you grow your fleet at thetransportationalliance.org. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Transportation Alliance and follow us on Twitter at Transpo Alliance. And now let's get to our show with your host, John Boyd. Hi, everyone. I'm John Boyd. And did you see what we did there? Did you catch that new name? Yes, the rumors are true. Our venerable trade association has changed its name from TLPA. I won't even go into what that long name was. And we are now the Transportation Alliance. Same great organization serving fleet owners and executives in 250 cities on four continents. Thank you very much. Except we're even better. Our new name, the Transportation Alliance, reflects the incredible changes in our industry. It broadens our tent to talk about all things related to passenger transportation. And it's just a downright awesome and cool name for these exciting times. So welcome to the Fleet Forward podcast. And I'm joined by my co-host, Bridget Peary. Hi, Bridget. Hi, John. Love that new name. Nice to see you, Bridget. I know you've been hard at work with the transition over to the new name. And in the midst of transitioning to that new name, you also managed to put together the latest issue of Transportation Leader, our quarterly magazine. So what will people find inside in this issue? Well, we have a fantastic cover story of Mark Joseph of TransDev. Everyone in the transportation industry knows Mark. He's an industry giant. He's also going to be this year's recipient of the Transportation Alliance's Lifetime Achievement Award. When we all gather in Las Vegas on October 16th and 19th for Mobilize 2019, the new name of our fantastic annual convention. So there's a great profile of Mark in the magazine, Plus, you can't miss, and I seriously mean this, you should not miss, his five predictions for the future of this industry. Is one of those predictions going to be that we win the lottery? I sure hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> that would we'll be have nice. to go to Vegas and find out. <laughs> uh, well, congrats to Mark Joseph. Uh, he really is an industry giant, and uh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say in Las Vegas at Mobilize 2019. Um, his award is really well-deserved, and he's... Um, and he's, of course, one of the keynote speakers at Mobilize. He's not just picking up an award. He's one of the keynotes. Yes, that's right. And I think that people will be hanging on to his every word. And let me just add that this is going to be an amazing convention to attend this year. We'll be in the fully renovated tower rooms at Bally's Las Vegas, where you can take advantage of the crazy low room block rate. It's just $147 a night. It's a great location on the Vegas Strip. We'll have dozens of great educational sessions and tens of thousands of square feet on our expo floor. You'll find services and products that makes today's fleet run efficiently, from vehicles to dispatch software to insurance to apps and so much more. It's like a great big shopping mall for our industry all under one roof. It's like Mall of America, basically, but, you know, for, for transportation companies. Without the roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait. It is definitely the event of the year for our industry, and the volume of new ideas, new business tips, and new contacts that are exchanged there is really just mind-boggling. All right, but Bridget, before we pack our bags for Vegas, we have a show to do, right? Yep, enough chit-chat. Let's get to it, John. All right, Captain. All right, tell us what we're in for today. Well, you talked to a guy who now runs the largest luxury vehicle companies in the United States, right? I did. Robert Alexander, a man who started his company with just one car 25 years ago. Uh, he is one of the biggest in the industry. I mean, seriously, 
Uh, take a guess how much his revenues are projected to be this year. Having started with just one car 25 years ago, how much do you think his revenues are this year? Mm, $5 million? You're way off. $10 million? $60 million. In that, that's his projected annual revenue, with having started with just one car. And I want to say that I had no trouble editing his interview because I barely edited it. I mean, honestly, I hung on to his every word. And even if you're not in the transportation business, you're going to love hearing his story and his advice for operators. Um, so we have that story. And we also have one that may surprise people. Yes, we do. We will also talk with a company in Ohio that has partnered with, wait for it, Lyft. No. Yup. They are working together to dispatch non-emergency medical transportation. And so far, the partnership is going well. We'll hear from inside that company and how they did it. All right. Thank you, Bridget. Well, are you ready to get started? I sure am. Let's do this. All right, let's start with a few tips about how to grow a company into a $60 million powerhouse. There was some big news out of the Washington, D.C. area just a few weeks ago when it was announced that RMA Worldwide Chauffeured Transportation has acquired its longtime competitor, Kane International Limousine Incorporated. The deal makes it the biggest private transportation company in the Baltimore, Washington region and also one of the largest in the United States. The newly merged companies will operate under the RMA name with RMA founder and CEO Robert Alexander at the helm. So, big question, how did he do it? How does a private company grow like that, especially in this current environment? So I decided to go straight to the source. Robert Alexander joins us from his company headquarters in Rockville, Maryland. Now, Robert, you acquired Kane International Limousine. Why was Kane an attractive company to you? Kane was an attractive company because they uh, have a lot of shuttle type contracts, which we do as well. It just, it, and the reason I go into that early on is it complemented a lot of the things we currently do and some of the things we thought that we could learn from them to do better. And we could take some of the things we do well and combine the two and come up with a really awesome company. You now have more than 400 cars in your fleet, more than 500 employees and affiliates in 600 cities. RMA Worldwide did about $30 million in business last year, and the press reports that I've read say that you're going to do about $60 million of business over the next year. But you started with just one car. Tell me about that first business. Um, before my senior year of college, a lady in my neighborhood asked me to take her and her dog to the vet. And I said, sure. She said, will you run some errands? I said, sure. And it was a great way to make a few bucks, extra bucks before I went back to college. I went to Washington College in Chestertown, Maryland. And to graduate, I was had to do a senior thesis. And I was able to convince my thesis advisor and let me letting me do a paper on how America had shifted from an industrial economy to a service economy and do a business plan for a company called Aaron's, E-R-R-A-N-D-S. Aaron's Plus Inc. I graduate in May of 1988 and I get a new sob for graduation. August 1st, I start my parents' basement running people's errands and driving senior citizens around. And it really should have been called any, anything for a buck because that's what I, what I was doing. And I thought I'd give it a year. And if it worked out, great. 
And if it didn't, I could go to somebody and say, I did the books, I did the marketing, and it didn't work out. Please, please give me a job. And here we are today, 30 years later, and I'm having the good fortune of speaking with you. So what, what was the aha moment that, that kicked you into high gear, that made you realize that you could grow this company, that you, you didn't have to just be a, a one-car company? So one of my fondest and, and motivational stories that was kind of early on that, that made me realize that if you work hard, good things can happen was I was working in my parents' basement and my daily commute was where, they, where my parents lived in a split level house was going up and down the stairs. And occasionally I had, my, my father would be in the lower level and I'd be heading to the basement and he would pass me and he would ask me how things were going. And early on when I was only, you know, a, a few months or, or six months into it or so, he'd say, how's it going? And I would tell him with great excitement how great it was going because I was doing a thousand dollars, excuse me, a hundred dollars a day in business. And I thought that was really, you know, over the moon and him being the wonderful person he was and just a great father and a great mentor. He, he, he sensed my excitement and, and said, that's, that's great, Rob, you really are doing, you know, stick with it and, and you keep working hard and hopefully it'll keep growing and getting better. And so I did, and I kind of, you know, put a, a little bounce in my step and I went back and I kept working away and I was working 12 hours a day and about three or four weeks later, I see him at the same time and, and, and he says, hey, Rob, how's it going? And I go, it's even better than the last time you asked me. And we're really, really moving along. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, we're doing $200 a day. It's unbelievable. It's just we're on fire. He goes, you know, Rob, $200 a day is pretty good, but you're not exactly running General Motors down there. You better get back to work. And so in his own humbling way, he kind of said, you know, stay grounded, keep working uh, um, and, and great things will continue to happen. So that was kind of his way of saying, you know, you're doing good, but let's keep going here. Now, I know that one of the one of the things that got you to where you are today is that I know that you are absolutely obsessed with customer service. Um, give me an example of how RMA, like your favorite example of how RMA goes above and beyond in customer service? I mean, there's, there's multiple great stories, but I'd be remiss if I didn't add that we take a 360 degree look at what our service is and that, you know, our product is cars and buses and, and the like, but the service experience is everything from the way the chauffeur's dressed uh, to the way the vehicle looks, to when we arrive, to, to the special amenities we put in the car and being there for our customers whenever there's a challenge and making sure we find a solution and, and that we're Johnny on the spot. And a good example of that is we had a, you know, a very famous sports agent who was flying, flying private and he'd put a suit bag in the back of an SUV. He was flying out at night. He was going to fly to Los Angeles and was meeting with the head of a studio the next morning. Wheels go up and the plane leaves. And about two hours into the trip, we get a phone call from the client saying, I don't have my suit bag. And my dispatcher's like, what do you mean you don't have your suit bag? He goes, it was in the back of the SUV. Well, what we discovered later is A, it was a black suit bag, and B, the client had put it in the back of the car. We should have checked the back of the car. So I get a phone call. It was a Sunday night. I get a phone call at home, and the dispatcher's saying, hey, uh, this passenger left his suit bag. He's got a meeting in the morning. He says we can't FedEx it, and he has to have his suits. What do we do? And I said, that's a tough one. And he's a very important and, 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 and client to us. So you better figure this out. Let me know how it works out. I hang up the phone 
and this dispatcher called somebody else in the company and they brainstormed well the dispatcher got the suit bag from the chauffeur, went to Dallas Airport, got on an airplane, flew to Los Angeles. We gave the suit bag to our affiliate in LA who got it to the hotel by 10 a.m., plenty of time before the, the luncheon, the big luncheon meeting with the head of the studio. And our guy, after he handed the suit bag off, walked across the terminal, got another plane, and flew back to to uh, Washington. And, and the real question is, is what do we charge the client for all this? Nothing. Because that's what you do. You go in above and beyond, and we still have a very happy client to this day. So I would do it all over again. Yeah, that's just what you do if you're in the service business. It's about, it's, about, it's about the long term. We always take the long approach with everything and anything we do. What's the best business advice that you ever got? Provide the absolute best service you can. I think, you know, indirectly, my, in my, back to my father, you know, he, you know if you're going to do something, be the best at it. Work hard. Don't cut corners. Always be honest uh, and make sure you're profitable in the process and take care of your people. And it became a real simple formula for me to do that. Um, is that, you know, he said there may be plenty of people that, that are smarter than you, Rob, but don't let anybody outwork you. And that really, I took that to heart. What's the best business advice you'd give to somebody who today has one car and they want to and they want to have hundreds of cars like you do and be in hundreds of cities. Step back, look at your business, think about how you can get to five cars and say, okay, don't just say I want to grow my business or I want to be bigger. Work backwards, I would say to somebody, if you want to get to five cars, say, okay, what do I need to do to get five? What's required? Um, do I have to hire a salesperson? Do I have to do more marketing? How will I finance the cars? How will I get the cars? And put a real roadmap together and then work that uh, and at the same time, don't chase dollars, chase profitability, and then and then the skies are open. Um, because without profitability, you know, forget lining your own pockets. But if you want to be able to to grow, it's it's a must-have. Because you know, much to my chagrin, now I'm in an asset-heavy business, and so to growth requires the ability to purchase more assets, and that requires good banking relationships. And so I say, you know, people to focus, focus on what they're doing every day and provide the best product and service they can and make it easy for people to do business with you. Look for any friction point in your business. And if you were the client looking at your business and, and it would be, you know, any challenge at all to do business with your company, modify or change it. Make, make policies that are about your customers and not about your business. Now, this would be a business success at any given time, but it really is even more of a success in the age of Uber. Uh, how is it that you have been able to grow so much when it seems like the rest of the world is jumping into Ubers, that they're going with the low cost solution, the, the, you know, the, they're going with the cheapo solution. Let me put it that way. I mean, I'm so fortunate. I've got an awesome, awesome team and I push them and they push me we're constantly curious on how we can be better in every capacity and we take chances and we keep our eyes wide open. And so we understand that there's a place in the ecosystem for Uber. You know, if someone's had a couple of glasses of wine and they want a car right away and they want to get home, I'm a fan. I mean, if there's not a taxi available, obviously, and or, or something like that, I think we really, if you focus on the service experience and, and deliver what you say you will, 
people will stick with you. I mean, it's not like Uber is the genie in the bottle anymore. Everybody knows about Uber and there's a line in the sand. People are going to use Uber or they're going to use you. And if it's a longer trip, they will use us. And if we make it, you know, if we're able to do it at a, at a fair and reasonable price and deliver the deliverables, well, then we're going to continue to win. But we've also not by any stretch tried to stay in our lane. Well, we've gotten into transit, we've gotten into motor coaches, we've gotten into university shuttles, and, and now this acquisition. I mean, yeah, do we get out of our comfort zone every every now and then? Yeah, but I think that's part of the process. I mean, don't expect to be awesome and great and do special things if you're not willing to, to get out of your zone a little bit. I mean, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, right? Speaking of Uber and Lyft, how do you think those companies are going to operate differently now that they are public companies? You know, I just spent the day yesterday on Capitol Hill and that, that kind of, that indirectly, that kind of question came up. I think that the transparency of those companies could really present a challenge to them because now they have to di disclose everything. You know, if you're an investor in a company, you need to know the good, bad, and all in a company or you're, you're running into real challenges. I think that, you know, the, Originally, they both had failed IPOs, especially Lyft. And now, you know, some of Wall Street said, well, maybe these models can work, even though that they're both losing. I mean, Lyft just said they lose $900 million in the last quarter. And so the question is, is in, in, their, in their disclosure statement, Lyft said, um, we are not profitable and we're not sure there's a clear pathway to profitability. So from an investor standpoint, that has to give you pause and make you, make you scratch your head. And the question is, is, you know, will the capital markets keep supporting them? If so, then they can keep, you know, keep doing what they're doing. However, there's going to be, there's two things, two challenges that they're going to run into is if they don't raise their rates in some capacity, keeping their labor pool is going to become a challenge because I think people are realizing you don't really make any money driving for, for Uber or Lyft. And Wall Street's only be patient for so long because they want to see continued growth and, they, and eventually they're going to want to see profitability. So the real question is, is how much does going public give them more runway to wait for autonomous vehicles? Now, I've heard so many predictions on when autonomous vehicles are going to come out that, that you know, who knows? So I think, I think that, you know, they have, for now, permanent access to capital, which is a must. But in the long run, I, I don't know. I don't know, maybe some other iteration of them will come along. But I think if, you know, operators keep providing great experiences, then then who's Uber and Lyft? Well, that's a great segue to my next question, which is, I mean, you know, you've been in the industry your whole life. Um, you've won just about every industry award out there, I think. Um, how do you think the for hire transportation industry needs to evolve in the next 10 years, let's say. The marketplace is evolving, and I think that clients are certainly much more sophisticated than when I when I got into the business. Technology has definitely had a major play in it, um, whether if we're doing a big event and our clients, we give them technology where they can see where our cars are so they don't have to call our dispatch and say, hey, what, you know, we want this car to pull up or something like that. And so with that, I think it's going to make it challenging for companies that don't necessarily have the resources to reinvest. I think that there'll definitely be more consolidation. It's almost like you have, you know, this happened once before in the industry when Kerry went public and that a lot of companies, generational companies are, are, unless they have second generation or third generation in it, are either going to be acquired 
will be acquired or in some capacity or do some sort of merger. Um, so I think it's a shift. I think the strongest will survive. Um, but a lot of companies are doing well. It's just whether they can sustain that and they can operate at a reasonable margin for the, for the customer to pay and a reasonable margin to keep the business operating. But there will be a shift. There's going to be more acquisitions. Well, I think you're definitely leading the way in that. So, um, Robert, again, congratulations on the recent um, the merger and acquisition and, uh, all, and wishing you uh, continued success and hope to see you soon at one of our um, industry events for the Transportation Alliance. Well, you definitely will. And, and I can't tell you how much uh, good that, that the Transportation Alliance is doing, how it's appreciated and, and people need. And my other small but closing advice would be is people need to get involved. If this is what you do, get involved with the Transportation Alliance or if it's it, or one of the other associations and make sure you're making a difference. That was Robert Alexander, the founder and CEO of RMA Worldwide Chauffeur Transportation, speaking with us from Rockville, Maryland. The need for non-emergency medical transportation, or NEMT, is only growing, and with the changing attitudes of passengers seeking on-demand transportation, companies providing NEMT are looking at new ways of delivering a vehicle to customers. That question led one company down an interesting road. Provider Ride is a non-emergency medical transportation provider, one of the largest in the state of Ohio. And when it looked for new ways of doing business, it did something that might have been unthinkable just a few years ago. It partnered with Lyft. Roy Kornacki is Provider Ride's Vice President of Business Development. I reached him in Ohio to give us the details. So Roy, let's start with a little bit about Provider Ride and this partnership with Lyft. John, we provide healthcare and medical transportation, and that's at the core of what, what we do here at Provider Ride. Um, our goal is to provide clean, safe, reliable transportation, and we do that using a variety of mechanisms. Um, we understood early on that we needed to partner in order to provide the more um, demand response, more faster, better service. We needed to partner with agencies, including Uber and Lyft, that could accommodate the growing trend in the medical transportation industry. So we seeked um, transportation network companies like Lyft and Uber out. And while we didn't have much success in reaching uh, folks at Uber for this effort, we did finally connect with the right person at Lyft. And we've been able to um, integrate their service to ours in order to provide more efficient and more timely transportation and demand response model. So was this about creating more capacity? Well, John, while it's true that we've increased our capacity to perform more trips through this service, what's more perhaps important to our model is that it has increased the quality and the timeliness of the service for our members and customers. And also from our paying customer standpoint, it has enabled us to drive down the cost of their service. And that's a critical component to staying on the cutting edge in this industry, uh, being able to provide clean, safe, and reliable transportation at the lowest possible cost is sort of the teeter-totter that we uh, are all up against in this industry. 
it's opened up a significant increase in capacity um, and an increase in service quality in terms of being able to respond to passengers. Um, for example, when members are being picked up for medical appointments, you know, their expectation is become that they'll be picked up within a few minutes of their request. And that has uh, been driven, I think, somewhat by the likes of Uber and Lyft and the service they provide. Okay, so tell me, how does it actually work? Do passengers open up the Lyft app to request a vehicle? So in our case, uh, members contact our call center directly to schedule transportation. And when they do, our application dynamically speaks with Lyft um, technical information so that we can uh, fluidly have data flowing bi-directionally. So when a member calls to activate their return, for example, we activate that, it then automatically launches uh, the vehicle or, or requests the ride through our application by talking to their application. And then uh, the member is provided with a hyperlink on their mobile phone by way of SMS so that they can launch an app that shows them the vehicle approaching. So it's really a comprehensive solution that involves both our application as well as Lyft's application talking to each other dynamically. So Roy, I'm sort of fascinated because here you are, a Midwest company, partnering with a Silicon Valley company. I'm sort of picturing Midwestern humbleness meets brash entrepreneur. Was there a cultural difference that you encountered? Well, we do. I did notice a cultural difference, uh, but I can't call it a bad one or one that interfered with our relationship. Um, if anything, they are open-minded, and um, and maybe perhaps that's something we might lack in the Midwest, uh, some open-mindedness. Um, the folks that we work out with Lyft are phenomenal. They're open-minded. They want to hear, you know, what we want, what we need and want, and they want to work with us to achieve it. And they very much have. Um, our partnership with them is strong, and they work hard at keeping it strong. So they're invested. You know, they're in it, and um, and we're also invested. Uh, we want to, at the end of the day, provide clean, safe, and reliable transportation at the lowest possible cost for our customers. And um, and Lyft is one of the components that's helping us do that. Uh, Lyft by itself couldn't accomplish that because there's a whole uh, slew of other considerations, geography, um, uh, wheelchair accessibility, things like that, that, that we provide um, through our vast network of subcontracted transportation providers, as well as our own fleet. Um, but as a, as a sort of mixed ingredients, the, it really ends up with a bowl of soup that is a phenomenal solution for our customers that they seem to really appreciate. Well, it's great to hear about how companies are doing new and innovative things to meet the ever-growing demand of non-emergency medical transportation. Roy, thanks so much for chatting with me. My pleasure. That was Roy Kornacki of Provider Ride in Ohio. And there's that music, which means we've come to the end of another Fleet Forward podcast brought to you by the Transportation Alliance. If you are a transportation fleet owner and you are not yet a member of the Transportation Alliance, what are you waiting for? Find out how we can help you grow your fleet at thetransportationalliance.org. 
email us at info at thetransportationalliance.org. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Transportation Alliance and follow us on Twitter at Transpo Alliance. Thanks to our guest today and to my co-host, Bridget Peary. I'm John Boyd. We'll see you in Las Vegas, October 16th to the 19th for Mobilize 2019. So until then, let's keep those fleets moving forward, everybody.